Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. This is Martina Navratilova. I'm Mats Wilander. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. I'm Andy Murray. This is James Meredith, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. It's another listener's question special here on the Tennis Podcast. This one brought to you by James Meredith, another of our guest editors who backed us to the hilt in our Kickstarter campaign to keep the Tennis Podcast going for another year. And in so doing, he has given us the chance to produce weekly shows throughout 2019, daily editions at every Grand Slam. And we're going to do as many more as we can on top of those as well. Myself, David Law, alongside, not physically alongside, but joined by the wonders of modern technology, Catherine Whittaker. How are you doing? Hello, David. Spiritually alongside you. Yes, yes. Uh, And we're here, folks, to answer your questions, to answer James' questions. He's selected the best of those that you've put in on social media as well. And uh, let's just get cracking, shall we, Uh, with James's first question, which is, will playing doubles help or hinder the chances of Stephanus Tsitsipas winning either a major or a Masters 1000 title this year. He's he's played that that event, didn't he, with Wesley Kulhoff, the one that you found absolutely hilarious because of their uh, their post-match on-court uh, speech in which uh, Stefanos forgot to thank his partner. Um, and they've now said that they're going to play seven events, seven Masters 1000 events this year together, I think. Um, what do you think? Um, I think it's great, and I think... Um, more should do it. I mean, it's not to say it will necessarily work for everybody, but um, I think it will work for an awful lot more people than are currently doing it. Having said that, a lot of the next-gen players do seem more inclined to play as spotter doubles than the generation before them, uh, with the exception maybe of, of Nadal. Um, Shapovalov's doing it, playing with uh, he's been playing with Rohan Bapana, and that's something that his coach has been actively encouraging. I think it makes most sense at Masters 1000 level, particularly at the longer events like Indian Wells and Miami, where it's still best of three set tennis, but you have a lot of days off. Um, and uh, Daniela Hantikova was saying she used to hate having days off at uh, at the the bigger, bigger, longer events because she felt like she lost her rhythm. Um, and that was why she played so much doubles. So 
I'd be surprised if we saw them play a lot of doubles at Grand Slam level. And I realised with that being best of five sets, that uh, that poses different challenges. But at Masters level, maybe the odd other tournament, I think, by and large, it's a great idea. Because, um, you know, winning is winning. That winning feeling, OK, it might be slightly reduced if you're getting it on the, the doubles court, but it's still winning. Um and it's still confidence, and those are things that you can't magic out of thin air. And and I don't think it's any accident that we're seeing quite a lot of uh, an increased um, level of variety from these younger guys, or certainly that's a good point. an increased willingness to introduce variety into their game. Um, and I think that's that's great news, absolutely great mm. news you know, Shapovalov is, is, he's determined to, to play with a lot of variety now when he started doing that his, his volleys weren't up to much but he was determined to keep doing it and keep learning um, keep learning the, the sort of instincts of being at the net and uh, you know, he's still not Roger Federer yet but he's he's improving and has improved a lot and doubles, playing a lot of doubles, will only only help that more. Should also be said that Roger Federer was not Roger Federer when he first started out in terms of his comfort at the net. I remember Federer, if you look back at old videos of when he played Wimbledon in 99, 2000, 2001, you watch the match against Sampras, he serves and volleys first and second serve every single time, uh, does Roger Federer, back then, because that's what you do. Right. That was before they slowed the courts down. That's by before Leighton Hewitt and David Nalbanian had reached the final. Um, he It was only latterly that he started staying back because he started to realize that he could win that way. Um, and obviously, if you go back 10 years before that, Jim Courier started staying at the back uh, after second serves because Andre Agassi had won Wimbledon by staying back and returning incredibly well and Courier also got to the final but and 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 so I I, I take your point totally I think that Shapovalov's volleys will improve I think Sitsipas appears and and I'm I'm loath to get too into the technicalities because I simply don't understand them well enough because I'm not an ex-player but Sitsipas seems to have a comfort level at the net already and and a sort of intent to get to the net so these are all good factors I think you're right I think doubles will definitely improve those I think they are and that's a great point about the responsibility for the variety that we're now seeing or or contributing towards it my concern over over this is that there are a few players who've played singles and doubles in in recent years. You mentioned Daniela is one of them. I also think you could question whether it has cost them and whether the, whether it's worn them out, whether if you actually looked at the, the results side by side, now you don't have a comparison level to say, oh, well, that player stopped playing doubles and necessarily started playing better singles, although Caroline Garcia, I think, had her best singles results. She got she won the WTA finals when she wasn't playing doubles. You may remember she gave it up for a while. Um, but I, I love the idea of it. I love the idea whenever I talk to Joe Jury or Martina Navratilova or John Mackin or any of these players, they always talk about how doubles was the best practice they could have had and that they all think that everybody should do it i don't know how sustainable it is if you want to be the very best singles player that you can be i'm just not sure well just ask john McEnroe. i think i think different I think era it though. depends i think it depends whether you adjust your practice accordingly you know daniela 
Daniela does have regrets in terms of um, overtraining and the sustainability of the eventual sustainability of her career and injury management and stuff. But she doesn't pin any of it on the doubles. I think she, I'm hoping we'll be able to get a, a really in-depth interview with her because she has so much to say. It's it's all mesmerising. Oh, I can't wait. Um, but she, she, I've never heard her attribute any of it to the doubles. Perhaps adjusting her training levels around the doubles. You know, she talks a lot about how she thinks she's, she overtrained uh, during portions of her career to, to make up for a lack of self-belief. Um, but... I've not heard her once say, I wish I'd played less doubles. Mm, that's very interesting. Um, I will I will put it to her directly um, when, when we get that interview. Um, but I'd be very surprised if she put it down to doubles at all. I, I'm sure she wouldn't put it down to doubles. I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if, she, if you're quite right about that. But I wonder whether she just doesn't know. Um, because you can't know, can you? You can't know how your alternative universe might have panned out um if you had done it differently um but uh, but what i think you can say and i feel quite strongly about this that doubles aids your mental health yes absolutely absolutely and i think that's an overlooked factor for many reasons you know partly that mental health isn't nearly talked about enough i think that's changing slowly um but absolutely, it's a lonely, unforgiving sport and adding some sort of team element, some shared responsibility for, for a lot of people, for a lot of players must be an immense relief. Mm. Uh, James's second question. Uh, will Kyle Edmund have a better career than Tim Henman? And he qualifies better as saying, I'm thinking namely of things such as consistent top 10 ranking, which I don't think Kyle Edmonds had yet, uh, best results in the slams and total tournaments won. Kyle Edmund, who reached the Australian Open semi-finals last year, and I think he got to 13 in the world, I think is his highest. Feder uh, Henman got to number four in the world. Um, I think by the parameters that James himself has set there, I would say no. Um by slightly different parameters, possibly yes. I think Kyle Edmund might end up having a better one-off or a couple of standout results. You know, I think it's conceivable that he could reach a Grand Slam final. Possibly Do you not think two. he would have had a better career then if he reaches a Grand Slam final, which Henman reached but I'm just going on the parameters that James has set, which is consistent top 10 ranking. I don't think that Kyle Edmund will have the consistent top 10 ranking that Tim Henman had. He does say best results he, in the slams, though, as well. He does, but does he mean single standard? You know, Henman was incredibly consistent. I don't. I don't see Kyle, Kyle Edmund has this explosive game, which I think will can and can and might well be mirrored in his results. Henman had a a very different style of game, still, um, still extremely watchable in its own way. Um, and yeah, I, oh, it depends whether you're talking about consistency. You and I interviewed Tim Henman here on the Tennis Podcast um, coming up to five years ago now, um, end of 2014. And one of the questions I asked him was, Marin Cilic had just won the US Open, and yet 
he'd never got to another I think he'd reached one other Grand Slam semi-final at the Australian Open to that point he's obviously done a lot more since then he's reached Wimbledon final Australian Open final but back then I said to Tim you had six Grand Slam semis you were four in the world would you switch with Marin Cilic for what he's had i.e. winning the US Open but not doing all those other things that you've done and he, I've forgotten what he said David he said in a heartbeat yes he did yeah and and I think that, that that is where I would stand on this, this situation. I mean, I don't know about if Chilich had lost in the final. I wonder what Tim would have said to that. We, did, we didn't ask, so we don't know. But I, I think you're right. I think that Edmund could reach a Grand Slam final. I think he could do it on clay. I think it would be really yeah. interesting to see whether he could, could manage that one year, maybe when Rafael Nadal bows out and we're in that, we're in that sort of gap because he's got another six years, seven years of this left at least, um, uh, injury health permitting. And he's got such a big game on clay. It, it could happen, his Courier-like game. Don't forget Courier reached three of those finals and won two of them. So, yeah, um, I, I think I think overall Hemman will end up having had the better career because I'm not 100% sold on, on Edmund reaching that Grand Slam final. And as things stand, certainly Hemman's got the better career but I do feel that Edmund pretty much will maximize his ability which I think is all you can ask in the end isn't it yes but um, by saying that we have sort of wormed out of answering the question okay go on answer it then I'll say no I think no yeah I think no and I don't want to do Kyle Edmund down because I entirely agree I don't think Kyle Edmund will finish his career with regrets um, just as I don't think Tim Hemman finished his uh, career with, with regrets. He knows that he maximised. Um, but I think if I had to commit now, I'd say no, not quite. If, if Edmund reaches that final, that Grand Slam final, do you, would you consider that a better career than Tim Hemman's? I don't know. I want to go back and ask Tim the question about if Marin Cilic had lost in the final. Okay, well, we'll find Tim at some point <laughs> and ask. What, what about if he if he wins, if Edmund wins the slam, is that an open and shut case for you as well? Oh, op- open and shut if he wins the slam, without question, yeah. yeah. Me too. Okay, fine. Right, we've got all our answers out there. We've just got to go and find Tim Hemman now, right? We'll do that in a few weeks. Kyle, of course, has a Davis Cup winner's medal. Yeah, but he didn't contribute no, to it, did he? No, but he got to stand on the stage. <laughs> I could have done that, <laughs> except I couldn't get in the team. Um, yeah. Despite my brilliant performances of late against Solihull Simon. Uh, rained off today, Catherine. Just uh, thought you might like to know. Um, so who, in your view, James asks, is the most underrated player on the men's tour and the women's tour? Who's the most underrated player? Have you already got ones in mind? Because if you have, then go ahead and give me some thinking time. Oh, who's the most underrated player? I mean, probably Kevin Anderson, I would say. Oh, Kev. Who, who, I mean, look, the guy has reached... Look at all these people that we keep banging on about over the years of the tennis podcast, like Grigor Dimitrov. And <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, you know... He, Not on this pod, David. Well, we have over the years, haven't we? And he's he's reached couple of Grand Slam semi-finals. It's not like it's been a terrible career. It's been a good career, but it hasn't been the career we expected him to have. And likewise, the career Kevin Anderson has had is not the career I think we would have thought he would have had. Two Grand Slam singles finals, I think, is 
is a significant achievement over and above what I would have ever expected and what I ever said to anybody that he would do. Agreed. But do you think that means he might have been underrated back then, but now he's getting the rating he warrants, isn't he? No, because I still think he he is not in the conversation. We When did we ever put him in the final when we do our predictions mm. for a Grand Slam? I can't remember doing it. No, but I always have him in like the semi-finals or quarter-finals. Do you? He's always in. I never pick him to lose early. No, but we didn't pick him to reach either of those two finals, did we? No. You know, anywhere close. No, okay. I would say. Yeah, no, I, okay, yeah. Yeah. Who was it the other week that I was uh, that I was saying about um, in the women's game that that we never pick Pliskova. Uh, I said it in commentary, didn't Pliskova. I? Yeah, Pliskova. Yeah, I think there are similarities. She, she never there. gets mentioned. She's another one. I and I, I'm not sure actually. I I don't think she is underrated because I think actually at times she's underachieved. Um, it is I I think that there's still a lot more in her to come. Um, so. I don't feel the same about her. I think she should have. She's reached one Grand Slam singles final with her game. She served more aces than anybody on the circuit year after year. I think she should have done more. Agreed, agreed. So they are both underrated, but in different ways. No, no. She's an underachiever. He's an overachiever. No, that's not fair yes. either. Yes. I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think I think he is underrated and I think that she is Yeah, I don't think she's underrated. Be- I mean, she doesn't get mentioned that much, but that's because she keeps letting herself down, I think, relative to what she's capable of. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would say on, on the women's side, I think slightly underrated actually is Angelique Kerber. If you consider mm. she's won three Grand Slam singles titles and I still don't think she is put at the forefront of our conversation, I don't think we would have picked her to 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 win any of those slams. Um, whereas Simona Halep, who's won one, I've put her in the final a number of times. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not disagreeing with any of this. Sold. Wow. What's going Sold on? Sold to the woman <laughs> in a dressing gown. Anybody else who's underrated? Three thirty-seven p.m. That we can think of. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else who's underrated uh, in this list of top twenty women. I'm going down. I'm going down the sets of both rankings. I mean, uh, those are definitely the two for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've... Maybe Kiki Burton's is a bit underrated because uh, she's sixth in the world, and and again, she's. She's not talked about that much. You know, we we talk about her affectionately, but we don't talk about her that often as a as a threat. You could say Marin Cilic is underrated as well. Yes, I think no you're one's right. ever picked say, him I'd... to win the twenty fourteen US Open or reach the Australian Open final last year or reach the Wimbledon final the year before. N- n- no one, I don't think, or maybe. Maybe the Wimbledon final people did pick, but yeah, I think. No, I think you're right, though. I think. I mean, and actually, the funny thing is, when he was when he was really touted, including by me, as the Wimbledon champion of 2018, Oof. he lost to Guido Pella. That has got to go down as the worst worst loss in Marin Cilic's career by by yeah. a, I mean, by country mile. 
That has to be the only time he's gone into a, a big tournament yeah. expected to, to produce. And that suggests that he couldn't handle it. As do his, I mean, he is, I think he's, relative to his ranking, the worst front runner um, in the men's game at the moment. As soon as he gets behind in the score, I think, right, we're going to see Marin Cilic play Marin Cilic tennis. And then he gets ahead and, and the literal wobbles start happening. Yeah. At Tennis Podcast, let us know what you think. Uh, the most underrated player on the men's and women's tours. And also, let us know what you think about Edmund or Henman, who's going to have the better career. Uh, so, who will finish the year ranked higher um, out of Johanna Conta or Dan Evans? an awful lot of predictions Evans? involved in James's questions. I know. Go on, oh, James. James. I love this. I have to say, though, that is a corker of a question. Absolutely yeah, it is. I mean, corker. T- to let you know... Conta right now is ranked 45 in the world. I think Dan Evans is ranked about 86, something like that. Um, let's just see if I can get that exactly. But, yeah, 45 in the world for, for Conta. She's kind of leveled out the last couple of years. Um, she's Yeah, I think 45 in a world, in the world is, a, is about right for Conta. Maybe it, she can get a tiny bit higher than that and maintain it consistently but i think she's reached an, an an equilibrium she was top 10 for two years though what's happened yeah but i mean i don't Jeannie really Bouchard, know what's grand slam finalist you know these things do happen mm. uh, um, dan evans is just to check is 89 in the world well i think dan evans will make top 50 by the end of the year before his drugs ban, he was 41 in the world as a career high. I think he'll get back there. So we're talking, oh, goodness me, I think it's going to be nip and tuck between those two. I'm going Dan two. Evans. Yeah, I think I might be as well. Just, I do think it'll be close. I think they'll both be in the 40s. How about that? Yeah, but you've got to say one way or the other. Well, I'm going Dan Evans. Okay, me too. Um yeah, I, I think Evans might even break 40, actually. I think uh, I think he could be in the 30s by the end of the year. So there we are. We're, we're, we're going out on a limb here, James. Let us know what you think at Tennis Podcast. Absolutely no Birmingham-based bias. No. In, well, certainly in my answer. No, me either. Um, right. Uh, it, it turns out he doesn't even live in Solihull anymore, David. He lives in, like, Worcester Cheltenham. or something. <laughs> Cheltenham. He's a... He's a turncoat. I know. It's disgraceful. Uh, so looking back over Cheltenham. the last... What's in Cheltenham? The races. You know, the horses and all that. Yeah, not a lot else, though. No wonder he likes it. <laughs> 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 looking back over the last 20 years, have there been any junior number one ranked players on the men's or women's sides that you expected to achieve more than they did stroke have to date on the ATP and WTA tours. Oh my goodness, there's so many. Last 20 years, unfortunately, there are so many. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a, there's a, there is just a sort of. There's a graveyard, isn't there? (laughs) It's a junior, there's a junior number one graveyard. I was trying to look for a a nicer way of saying it, but yes, there is. Um, where do you want to start? Well, I, don't, I don't know whether I don't even know if I don't think Laura Robson ever made it to world number one junior. Timo um, de Backer, David, yeah, who was mentioned on a 
on a podcast a couple of weeks ago, wasn't he? He was, yeah, in relation to John Isner and right, picking up yeah. the pieces after the <laughs> seventy sixty eight scoreline. Uh, That's when, what Timo de Bach is famous for. Beating when John Isner John needed Isner. to live with a chiropractor for the next two months. Um, Ricardis Barankis. Oh, gosh, yes. Who is not my favourite because I once shared a car with him um, from Montreal Airport to um, to a hotel in Montreal, shared tournament transportation. We were picked up together. It was We, we weren't travelling together. I don't want rumours to start, but, you know, we were going in the same direction at the same time. So they asked if we would share a car and we, we both happily said yes, yes, yes. And the driver, um, um, while we were going happily along her way along her way I was in the back Ricardus was in the front and the driver said to uh, Ricardus Barankis oh is she your girlfriend and he replied oh hell no so um, yeah not my favourite he can happily live in the graveyard not literally but you know no no the the junior the junior number yes. one graveyard yes. in the same year that Ricardus Barankis was year end junior number one Ursula Radvanska was yeah the sister of Agnieszka, who and she she won Wimbledon um, juniors that year. In fact, yeah. Radvanska, and yeah, I mean she has had a, a career of sorts on the main tour, and she I know she had terrible injuries as well. I mean that's the other thing you have to bear in mind. But some players, their games just don't translate. I mean, look at the one in the next year. Now I'm going to really struggle <laughs> with this. Nopawan <laughs> Lechiwakan, who I believe Lechiwakan, is, yeah. is somebody I believe that that Matt wrote about in his blog about juniors uh, during the Australian Open, and she was the player that Laura Robson beat in the Wimbledon Junior Final in 2008. And if you can, I mean, I, I still think 14-year-old Laura Robson and the player that ended up breaking through and beating Lena and. Kim Klaus is the US Open not being relevant today at the top of the game or in the top 50 even or the top 100 is is just one of the great disappointments and sadnesses that I have watching and having followed tennis of the last 10 years. Um, I mean, I, I really like Laura. I've got to know her a little bit by commentating with her. And But, it, but all that aside, just the sheer the loss that the sport has had to endure of her talent not being realized mostly because of that horrible wrist injury that she had which just took took her career out really just derailed her completely but it's it's so sad i think to to see players like that not coming through but look at the other players on the other side on the men's side in those years have you ever heard of yang sung hua or daniel berta or one no, Daniel Berta from Sweden. They must have been so excited, Sweden, yeah. because what a wilderness time they've had in tennis. Juan Sebastian the, Gomez. The halcyon days of the 80s. Who's that? Who's Juan Sebastian Gomez? Um, Yuri Vesely the Philip next year. Philip Poliwo. Yuri Vesely, who's known for being the first player to beat Novak Djokovic in 2016 in, in, in Monte Carlo when we'd had about four months of the year by then. Um, and he finally managed to beat. Uh, Djokovic, but he he struggled to really make strides in the very top echelons of the game. Zverev is there, twenty thirteen. Irina Kromacheva oh on the women's side, girls' side. Yeah, I mean, the, and which Cece Bellis uh, in the same year as Andrew uh, Andrew Andre Rublev, yeah. uh, twenty fourteen. I know she's had some results, but she's struggled a little bit to transfer, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's going to be yeah. fascinating, well, really. The, the, 
the 2017 year-end uh, junior number ones were Axel Geller, who I'm desperate to come through because I think tennis really needs a champion called Axel. Um, he, on the basis of the little flag I'm looking at, is from Argentina. And Whitney Asigui, who I've heard a fair bit about. In fact, I think she was a recipient of a wild card in Miami. Um, so they're the two who we might be expecting, if they are going to break through, to start hearing about um, coming up. But uh, yeah, previous year was Misha Ketchmanovic, who of course had a, a good breakthrough in uh, Indian Wells on the men's side. So yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's just absolutely no guarantee whatsoever. If anything, it's sort of potentially the opposite. It's you know, it has the potential to be a bit of a a poison chalice. Well, it certainly can add pressure, can't it? And and I do think that quite a few of these and I do feel that Laura Robson was one of them it's it's a lot to take on really all this expectation interesting that none of those apart from Zverev none of the ones that we talk about today finished end of year number one in that we've talked about in recent weeks like um Auger Aliasim or uh Shapovalov or um Dimonor. No, I, I believe Shapovalov certainly was number one. Yes, um, but, not but yeah, didn't year. finish year end number one. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I suppose there is the kind of um, the balance between you know, you know the more success they have as a junior, the less junior tennis they play. So they start playing senior events, and therefore their their junior ranking suffers a bit but um i don't know how much that was it played well yeah and the, there are guys. certain players serena and venus for an example and rafael nadal who who didn't or barely had junior careers at all they just went straight on to, to the tour um you know and but then on the other side you've got you know roger federer was a was he a year-end he certainly was a junior number yeah, one he was, wasn't he? he and he won both wimbledon singles and doubles same year in so, 98 yeah, those, uh, it's it's always interesting to follow the progress of these players, but there's absolutely no guarantees whatsoever that the, the number ones will become relevant even uh, at, the, at the upper echelons of the, of the men's and women's games. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewellery from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Hello Tennis Podcast listeners, David here. Now you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Social media questions that have come in, picked out by James Meredith. Um, Phil Boomy Noyan, who has asked, the best male and female players that never won a slam of all time? Ooh. Marcelo Rios would be mine. Marcelo Rios, yeah. Uh, um, the, the guy was a genius. Uh, if you watch, the, some some players' games look a little bit old hat now when you watch them. And I realize it's not that long ago that Chile, that uh, Rios played. But it's, you know, you're going back 20 years when he was when he was world number one. He 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 dominated in 1998. He beat, he won Indian Wells and Miami same year and beat Agassi in the final of Miami. And it was such a shock to the locals that was. And uh, he went on then to win Monte Carlo and Rome. I mean, th- this is the sort of stuff he was doing um, and ran into Carlos Moyer at the, the French Open, having already been in the Australian Open final against Petter Corder in 98. And he was such an enormous favourite going into that 98 French Open um, and was never really the same again after that. But talent-wise, left-handed, incredible ability, angles, he could do it all. He had everything. Um, and he wasn't tall, he just had, He was just such a natural player. Um, but an awful attitude. Um, and <laughs> I mean, he did, he had an awful attitude. And he was, he was a nightmare to deal with. I, I, I'd love to know, I mean, I don't think we're ever going to get a, a, a deep and meaningful sit-down with Marcelo Rios, but I'd love to know really honestly whether he has regrets well I got to know him quite a bit on the Champions Tour in latter years which is quite interesting because I had some serious run-ins with Rios during my <laughs> ATP days in the night in the late 90s um, when yeah he was world number one everybody wanted to talk to him because he was world number one and because he was sort of supposed to talk to people being the world number one and he had absolutely no interest in talking to anybody um, part of that was because he was hated in the locker room by many. I mean, I think I think some of the well, I think the South American players and the Spanish players, some of them, some of them liked him, but he did not like any of the English-speaking natives, the Australians, Americans, Brits. Didn't get on with any of us. Tim Hemming got on right with him, which was quite funny. Um, but I recall Sports Illustrated running this story called "The Most Hated Man in Tennis" on the front page with with a picture of Marcelo Rios. And uh, and that was even made things even worse in terms of the shutters going up and um, and then when I when I met him later on about eight years later when he'd retired and joined the Champions Tour, um, I remember having a conversation in the locker room with a few players and they were saying who was the toughest player to deal with 
and Rios was in the room, and I said him, um, and he was really upset about it. He was, re- you know, what do you mean, me? Really? I said, well, yeah, you, you were an absolute nightmare, I mean, you still are, but you, but you know, you were worse then, and uh, it, it was as though he didn't realise. Um, but uh, as a talent, just off the scale in terms of how good he was, and to think that he didn't win a Grand Slam is is another. T- terrible waste of ability really but i also think it it shows how difficult it is to win a slam because it's different it's best of five sets and and kyrgios is is kind of similar in that way he's doing a lot less with his career generally than than rios did but it's different to try to just handle all those situations yeah the the other names that that always get thrown out there are David Nalbandian, yeah. aren't they? Miroslav Machir as well. I might have to defer to you for for memories, but uh, he, he feels like he is a forgotten man yes. of tennis, yeah. Miroslav He did some Machir. coaching as well. Um, he's a beautiful player to watch in terms of his movements. They called him the big cat, and he just used to float around the court. Didn't have enormous power, but just great accuracy. But again, at the very highest level, at the slams, just... I mean, look, the, the the quality he was up against, Edberg and Becker and Lendl, it was tough. Um, but it was surprising back then that he didn't reach a Grand Slam final. Uh, I think Philippoussis? Philippoussis would be right up there, yeah, for me, given given what he was capable of, power he had. Yeah. I mean, his, his power was otherworldly back then. Um, and the only one on the women's side that's really springing to mind is perhaps Elena Dementieva. I know she had mm. issues on the serve, but and and retired very young. Um, there were other former world number one ones. Weren't there? there were players me. like uh, Dinara, Dinara Safina, um, yeah. Yelena Yankovic, players that got to finals but didn't win. Uh, we've now since had Halep and Wozniacki winning, of course. So that's uh, that's ensured that they're not on that list. Um, but yeah, I'd go, I would go with Rios. I think I think Philippoussis and Kyrgios uh, are others. I mean the. the the Curious stats might, though, bear out there, don't they? He's the only world number one never to win a slam on the men's yeah. side. And now Bandian is a very good one too because he had a number of wins against Federer, for instance, um, which, you know, you don't do that without knowing what you're doing on the court. Um, and he did that on hard courts as well. Um, Dan Connolly says, do you think that Serena will only be able to win her next slam when she addresses what happened at the 2018 US Open properly and accept some blame for it publicly. Dan is one of our uh, uh, predictions backers as well on Kickstarter. Hello, Dan. Hello, Dan. 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 That's a partridge joke. They always fall on deaf ears. Good, qu- good, you good question. You need to brush up on your partridge, David. Okay, I'll work on it. What was I supposed uh, to say? It's a great question. I would love for the answer to be yes. I would I would love for for that to be what what's holding her back and for the trajectory to be that Serena um comes to terms with her uh, culpability for um she's not the only person to blame for for what transpired the various aspects of it but comes to terms with the, her portion of the culpability um you know, apologises for it. As I've always said, I'm totally fine with with her saying, "Look, I did did something, did something bad. I'm really sorry. Uh, I'd be quite happy to move on from that. I don't need Serena Williams to be a perfect human being." Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think I, I don't 
look, I don't know Serena at all. And I think there's a lot about her which is pretty unknowable to us. Um, and we are really feeling our way in, in the dark, sort of guessing at, at how her mind works. But I don't think, sadly, it's troubling her. Um, and I don't think it is what's holding her back from um, from winning her post-comeback slam. What do you think? Uh, I, I completely concur. I don't uh, I don't think it bothers her that I think she thinks she's in the right and pretty much end of story. Um, and is it holding her back? No, not at all. I think she is one of the greatest champions sport has ever known. And I think that she is able to, to block out, certainly post an event like that, everything. I, I, the... She rolled her ankle against Karolina Pliskova in that in that Australian Open when she was really winning comfortably, and she was she was refusing to blame that, but that's why she ended up tail spinning the way she did, in my opinion. Um, and uh, and I think that if she can get herself right physically, I don't think anything will stop her getting those extra couple of slams she wants uh, to break the record. Um, so no, I don't. I don't think. Uh, I don't think that has any issues at all. And I th- and I agree with you. I think it's a shame that she hasn't seen fit to address it um, and accept some culpability in it. But that's that's my view. That's her view. She's entitled to it. That's all there is to it, really, isn't it? Um, and finally, uh, Arvind, chosen by James Meredith, our guest editor. Is is it Palmer? Is it Arvind? Could Palmer? be. No, it says at uh, B H. Uh, Snurmath says, "Should the tennis no, unless it's unless it's Arvin Palmer in disguise could be should the tennis Hall of Fame start accepting nominations for great coaches given the current emphasis on it?" Um, look, I I don't quite get the tennis Hall of Fame, and I think that's okay. First and foremost, a Hall of Fame is is a really American concept. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that I don't quite get it in the way that an American might. I, I'm fine with it existing. I can see what it what it means to to certain people when they're when they're inducted. You know, um, it was Andy Roddick and Kim Clijsters that were inducted not long ago, wasn't it? And their both of their speeches were were wonderful and really emotional, and I think that's great. I don't I don't quite understand why. You know, you've got you've got two Grand Slam titles or whatever, you're a former world number one, just that makes you, you know, spiritually a whatever a Hall of Famer means. Why do you have, why does there have to be a sort of unscientific nomination and election process for you to be considered officially a Hall of Famer? And why is, why is it, why is there not more set parameters? Why is it a nomination and election process Hmm. you know surely if you've if you've achieved certain things you are whatever it means to be a hall of famer that's what i don't quite understand about it and therefore does does personality start to come into it um you know i don't really know the answers to any of those things but then but then i don't think it's aimed at me because i'm a i'm a cynical british person and, and i think the hall of fame is aimed at you know optimistic americans that like having ceremonies for stuff and good luck to them it it there are lots of people in tennis that it means a lot to and it is significant and i wouldn't for a moment want to 
take that away from them. It's not doing any harm to anyone that it exists. And Todd Martin's the president of it, isn't he? And he comes and gives a speech every year at the International Tennis Writers uh, Drinks event that they uh, have on the eve of the US Open. He always speaks really well about it. And I always feel bad that I'm sort of stood there thinking, I don't quite get this, especially as they give you a free International Tennis Hall of Fame t-shirt on your way out, which I wear proudly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I just, I mean, yeah, sure, let coaches in. (laughs) It's sort of a little bit neither here nor there to me. I'm generally of a similar mentality, uh, same background in terms of being British and not really understanding them because we, we don't really have them culturally here um, as much as much or if at all as, as they do in America, in which they have in, in all sports, it, it appears. I've, I have to say I'm, I'm warming to it more than I, I was. And I think part of that is because of the efforts that are, that are made to, to engage with us, the media, at that international tennis writers do, that you mentioned with Todd Martin coming and speaking so passionately about it. Talking to Andy Roddick when he was in that conversation as well, it meant so much to him. And the the concept of it really meant a lot to him. And, and I, I use him, I suppose, as a, a bit of a barometer for, for Americans in a way, just because I, 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 I like and, and respect him and, and, and he is able to sl- slightly translate meaning for me a little on, on certain things that are somewhat alien to me. I'd, I'm hoping to go. I'd like to go to the International Tennis Hall of Fame in Newport um, at some when point. When Federer plays well, next year, yeah, right? Maybe, yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping to go in the summer, actually. Uh, whether I get there or not, I don't know. But I, Apparently, it, by all accounts, it is wonderful. And, and if I were ever in that part of the world, I would make an effort to go as well. I'm not so cynical about it that I would... No, we would walk around it just open-mouthed, I'm sure. Um, but, look, I take all, all your points on board, and, and I don't really get it either. But there's nothing that much to get. It's a celebration of people, isn't it, and, and achievement and and important figures in a game. So it's a positive generally. Uh, in that regard but yeah why not have coaches in, in in it as well i think the only problem with coaching these days is that it's just become so transitory uh in recent years there's so much change um the really great coaches that i love watching are the ones that are synonymous with a player really i suppose um i think when, when i think it would have to be a separate hall the International Coaching Hall of Fame. You couldn't well, could have just, them in the same hall. Well, at the moment, they have they have a broadcaster's one or a contributor's one, uh, of which uh, broadcasters such as Steve Flink and uh, uh, Mary Carrillo, I think, was up for it uh, last Hang year. Hang on, Mary Carrillo year. hasn't won it. I, don't, I think she has, actually. Invalidates she, the whole no, concept. I think, I think she me. is in it, actually. Um, I'm going to just do a quick Google search. John Barrett's <laughs> in it. John Barrett, who we, who we love so much, the, the British former player and commentator. Um, I thought Mary Carrillo was in it, but uh, but actually I've just If she's not in name. it, then... She's, uh, she's not coming uh, up. I'm not... I'm not on board. What's the point? <laughs> yes, as you can tell, we're uh, tennis podcast biased here. Um, no, we're uh, not. I No, she's objectively brilliant well she is i agree 
I agree. Uh, the best. So, right, well, that's about it for another edition. Hang on, what, what, what is your Google thrown oh, up? It says here, Mary Carrillo inducted into Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame in December of 2018. So it yes, looks like we she's know that happened in. last year. Uh, uh, that's a different one, then. One of, one of three women yes. in about, uh, out of about 80 or something. Yeah, that's not the same thing, is it? Um, it's not the same thing. It's separate. She got the Jean Scott Award from the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Ah, yes, that's they give out one of those annually, don't yes. they? Yeah, another uh, very, very well received and uh, well deserved uh, award. So, yeah, just give awards to Mary Carrillo, folks. All right, and then we're all, then we're quite happy. Um, and uh, yeah, and I think on that note, Catherine, we can end another edition of the Tennis Podcast, which has been brought to you in association with the Telegraph, executive produced by TennisBalls.com, uh, with our mascot, Rio with a Y. We're going to be back with more Tennis Podcasts all the way through the clay court season, the grass court season. We'll be daily at the French Open at Roland Garros and during Wimbledon and Queens, the US Open. We can only do it because we are backed by our Kickstarter backers, such as James Meredith, who has guest edited this particular edition of the show. And we will be back with more of these very soon. Thanks for listening. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.